You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here. Beautiful day because it's raining. We have people in the agricultural business, and today is a day of rejoicing for them. And so, uh, how many know if that's your livelihood, you're grateful that God is on time? Yeah, I can tell who the farmers are and who aren't the farmers. But anyway, we are in a series called uh, Psalms, Truths for Life. And uh, this was began, I had Pastor Danielle open the series, and then I preached the second message last week. Pastor Ben spoke, did a great job, all of them. And so I'm continuing. Today is the fourth message associated with this psalm or this series. And so today we're going to read a familiar psalm. Many of you are, are familiar with it, Psalm 100. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word, if you would. It's a very short psalm, five verses. But it has a lot of good things to say, and so we're going to be speaking on that today. Let's read together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now Jesus, as we look at the word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to do more than just hear information, but God, we pray that it would enlighten us, stretch us, grow us, and that the values that guide our life will be solidified in what you want them to be. I pray, God, that we can be open to your instruction and your correction from your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. you can be seated. So as we, as we read this psalm, it's a psalm that is very popular, but on the other side of it is there's not too much preaching on this psalm because it is... You know, you kind of read it, you're like, I don't see a sermon in there, but how many have faith that your pastor can get something out of it today? Yeah, yeah, so that's what, but the other side of this is, as you look at the psalm, what you'll notice is it has a lot to do with the, the aspect of worship, and why, why am I doing a psalm based on worship? Well, one of the things that we need to be aware of is this, did you know that most churches, ours included, but typically in any church, 40% of this time is devoted to, to worship. And so it's kind of important for us to know why we're doing what we're doing, because if we're not careful, we're, we're maybe being influenced more culturally than biblically. Now, here's the thing. You have biblical principles, and then you have to make it culturally relevant. But what you, whatever you do in the cultural realm, you want to make sure is not violating the biblical principles. And some of you go, you're starting to lose me. What do you mean by that? Well, let me explain it this way. How many know that in the Bible they didn't speak English? Okay. The New Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was in Greek. So if you really want to be authentic, we should be preaching and teaching and singing in Hebrew or Greek. But how many know that's probably just not going to happen? So we take the principles, right, and we transfer them into our culture, which is called English. 
Now, we just want to make sure that anything we do in English doesn't violate what we're transferring from the Hebrew and the Greek. Does that make sense? So you, what's the principle? Let's transfer it to the culture. But what you can't do is lead with culture. Because then you'll be playing with Scripture. Then you'll be getting the Bible to say things that it was never intended. So culture is a part of making the biblical principles work. And so that's kind of what we're looking at this because uh, psalm because there's a lot of opinion and a lot of uh, 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 insights related to worship. It's diverse, but if we're not careful, we'll start with worship with this way. We'll say this, what makes me feel comfortable? Well, what made you think it was all about you? Now, I understand, too, that there's an element of comfort, or I can't participate, right? But worship is not about me, it's about him. And so, did you know that God asks us to do things that make us uncomfortable? Because, listen, worship is, is giving God his love language. Y'all, y'all know what love language is? Love language is figuring out what works for your spouse or your children or somebody who's important in your life. Because if you're not careful, you'll express your love language on them and they're clueless as to what you were doing because it's not their love language. I'll give you an example of this, okay? So after we, when we first got married, we had a, a nice uh, 16-inch black and white TV. And for those of the younger generation, I don't mean that the box was in black and white. I mean the picture was in black and white, okay? No colors, black and white. And there was a remote. A remote control was for people who had great resources. We did not have that. So you were looking at the TV changer right here. You had to physically get up and go turn it. So after uh, a year or two of being married, you know, we started getting, life started going well for us. And it was my wife's birthday. And I saw an opportunity to bless her with a color television that was remote. It was one of those clickers. How many can remember a click, click, click? You know, just click. And, I, and I, I, I thought that was awesome. So on her birthday, I give her a color TV with a remote control clicker. And the response I got was, you've got to be kidding me. It was at that moment that I had another developmental uh, experience in my life in emotional intelligence (laughs) that a remote-controlled color TV was not in my wife's love language. Can I get a witness from the men? (laughs) You know, so instruction, so I started to learn, don't project onto her what I like. You need to find out what she likes. And so that involved going to parts of a store that I found very uncomfortable. You know, buying a dress and buying a blouse and trying to buy perfume. And I'm like, I don't know my way around these places. You know, I never went to these places. I never had to go to these places. But because that was her love language, I did that. Okay? Went to places that I found uncomfortable to get what would say to her, I love you, that she would, she would get that. Okay? It's the same way when we come to worship. If we're not careful, it's more, we're trying to make it more about our love language than God's love language. Do you know God has a love language? Did you know God has preferences? God says, this is how I would like it done. I mean, if you read the Bible, you go, oh, this, this is God telling me how I love him. Not how I want to do it. He's telling me how I do it. And that tells him that I love him. Hmm, I need to learn what he wants. Okay? 
So as we begin to look at this, let's, I always like to give background on the Psalms. This particular Psalm, did you know Psalm 100, we cannot for certain say who, who wrote it? We're, we're uncertain. And in the theological world, there's actually three uh, considerations as to who wrote it. Some say uh, this was written by Moses. Uh, some say it was written by David, the King David. And some say it was written after King David's reign by somebody else. Now here's the thing. It doesn't change the meaning. It doesn't change the importance, the value of what's being said. But I just want to let you know that really there's no way to be certain about who wrote it. It would fit within all three of those life, different lifespans. It works. There's nothing contradictory about whether it was Moses, King David, or somebody after King David. It doesn't, it doesn't change the dynamic as what being said. In essence, though, Psalm 100 is a call to worship. If you read that, you can kind of see it was utilized as a way to call people to worship. In fact, some uh, theologians, and it's a pretty good case based on the Hebrew and the rhythm that, it, that it is inside the Hebrew language, the last two verses appear to have been what we would call a choir song. In other words, it looks like the last two verses were designed to be sung by a choir. So that would, been, that would have been read, and then those last two verses would have been sung by, by some of the priests who had musical ability, along with those that, who had music, the musicians and the such that they would hire to serve at the temple. So, so this is telling us what, what we have here is this is what God wants. This is what God prefers, Okay. And so the challenge about worship is, is the why and the how. Why do I need it? Why do I do it? And how do I do it? Because again, if we're not careful, we put our preference on something and we want everybody else to go with our preference. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Some of you know this about me. If you get in my vehicle, turn it on, you're going to get symphony music where the station is. Now, my wife and I just got back from vacation. It was 16 hours to Missouri and 16 hours back. And so we get in the vehicle and, you know, what I got, I, I got symphony playing, man. You know, I'm, I'm there. 30 minutes in, this is pretty typical, 30 minutes into the trip, my wife will always say, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> okay, you've gotten your 30 minutes, you know. Okay, I hope you got your fix, but this, this ain't working. I'm not listening to this for 16 hours. Okay, you're going to have to find something that we can mutually agree upon that is, you know, that's good for us, but this is not going to happen for 16 hours. Okay, now, see, if it, my preference is this. You all should like that. You should love and learn to appreciate that, you should grow in it. You say, well, I don't like it either. But you need to learn to like it. See, I, I can make a passionate case. But see, that's my preference I'm putting on you. So what is God's preference? See, if we're not careful, again, worship can become about our preference rather than, hey, God, what do you want? What do you want? When I open my mouth, what are you wanting from me? When we gather, what do you want from us? So I'm going to hopefully share some insights. Based on, so here's the thing. There's no technically no points. It is just verse by verse breaking it down. I don't have a summary on the verse. We're going to read the verse, and I'm just going to take it phrase 
by phrase. Okay? You ready for that? Okay, here we go anyway. All right. Everybody read this out loud. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Now, it might seem simple, but again, as we delve into this a little deeper, what I want you to recognize, it says, shout for joy. This is a shout in applause and triumph. This is a, a, a strategic time when everybody should be lifting their voice. Notice it doesn't say sing. It says what? Shout. shout. So we are to shout in applause and triumph. You say, well, what is, when do we do that? At the end of worship, what does Pastor Malik always say? Let's everybody give a shout of cry, a praise of worship. Everybody lift your voice. Some of you go, that just seems really awkward. No, it's actually biblical. Okay? Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean I just randomly shout whenever I want to shout. Okay? Part of a coordinated worship experience is taking direction from somebody who's leading. When I am not in the rhythm of what is being led... I become a phrase that's called dissonance. I might have pure motives in my heart, but I'm still creating dissonance. So I follow what is being led because we're, we're a mass chorus of voices together. So when Pastor Malik says, hey, give a shout to the Lord, that's biblical. And some of you clap, and, and some people are like, oh, man, that's kind of weird. Why is he clapping? Because that's God's love language. Maybe you need to grow into that. I can tell that's going over well. <laughs> then he says, to the Lord. We're not doing that to you. We're not, you're not doing that to the worship team. He's the audience, not you. So sometimes people will fall into the trap. They'll go, yeah, I didn't get much out of worship. I said, well, that's good because you weren't supposed to get anything out of it. It wasn't about you. Worship was an opportunity for you to give something. If you're trying to come and get something out of worship, you've got it all backwards. We, we get something out of the word. So we precede receiving by giving. You reap what you so we give him praise, we give him worship, we give him honor. And then when the word comes, because we have worshiped him, he gives back. So it's, we sow first and then we reap. And all of you thought this was some kind of American ideology that we started with music. Well, it's taking biblical principles and transferring into our culture. The, the principle is you sow worship to him first then he sows back into us. Everybody say amen. amen. And then it says all the earth. Listen to that. God says, I, I don't want people calling on me who are just followers. I expect all of humanity. God says, I don't have just a few people. Everybody is mine. I've created all of humanity. All. So here's this. Even when people aren't serving God, he is calling to them to come worship him. Why? Because he says, that's what I created you for. I created you to come worship me. You may not recognize me. You may not, be in you may not be in relationship with me. But the call to you is still the same. I'm drawing you because I want to hear your voice. I want to have your life bringing me praise, glory, and honor. That's what God says. All the earth. Everybody said amen? amen? Number two, read the verse. 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. So, we're going to break this down. And what you're going to find is, this verse doesn't mean what you probably think it does. One of the challenges we have in translation, for those of you who do know another language, you understand this, this challenge. You face the challenge of, am I going to translate word for word, or am I going to translate the concept? Which, coming into another language, might require additional words in order to translate a particular phrase from one. And if you, if you do more one language, you understand that. Okay? For some of you who don't, you go, well, it sounds like you're adding. Well, we're trying to communicate the concept, and, this, and, and sometimes you just need more words. And we run into that with the Bible. This is why it's important to come to church. You say, well, why didn't the Bible just add all those words in so that we have it all? I go, because your Bible would be this thick. And, you know, be, you, you would need a pull cart to get it in. So that's why we have a, a, a teaching time to say, hey, here's additional information. We're not trying to deny anybody, but you just can't put all that in one book where you can carry it around. So this is one of those instances where the word worship doesn't exactly mean what you initially think. Because the word that is used there in the Hebrew, so I put it up there because I know we got people who are biblical scholars and you're going to be researching me and I'm providing you the information to show you that your pastor does his homework. <laughs> the word worship there means to serve, labor, or work. Ooh. Now remember, this is coming to the, this is coming to the temple. God says... I want you to serve, I want you to labor, and I want you to work with the Lord with gladness. Ooh. How many have ever heard me use the phrase, your, your work is your worship? Oh, come on, please tell me you've been listening. <laughs> I mean, I say it all the time, you know, but you know, I can say it again. Hey, have I ever told you work is worship? Did I ever tell you that? Okay. So here's the uncomfortable, everybody ready for a really awkward, uncomfortable moment? Attending is not worship. Serving is. We were never meant to be content with just attending. It was to be a bridge to, because faith without works is... It was meant to be a bridge... To serving. This is not. And let me say. This is not guilt trip time. This is not you know laying things on you and trying to trick you. Okay. Because here's the other part. He says, "I would like for you to do it with gladness." How many know? How many, how, have you ever run into somebody who was serving and wasn't real thrilled about it? <laughs> yeah. I, I occasionally I go someplace in town for business, and the person behind the counter is very free to share their displeasure at the service that they have to provide to any customer coming through the door and they would rather that I had not shown up so that their day would be easier. <laughs> Has anybody had a person in your life like that? And you went, I do not understand why they're there and I don't understand why they put that person in that position because this is, this is, this is awful. Right. And so I'm not talking about, well, pastor said, if I come to church, I got to serve. No, no, I want you to understand. God says, if you want your worship to be complete, know that the journey is to get you serving. But God says, I want you serving because you understand it's worship. Not because 
your church asked you to do it. You do it because you understand it's worship. And you say, well, I want to worship God. Well, yeah, then absolutely, I want to serve. I mean, I want to do it. And I want to do it with the right attitude. And I want to do it with a good, good spirit. I want to have an impact. That he, so he says, worship the Lord. And then he says, come before, come. Do you understand? That means we have to take the initiative. It doesn't mean, well, I have no idea how I got to the bridge this morning. Somebody must have tricked me. No. You know why we're here? Everybody in this room had an option other than coming to church today. You don't, you don't think I knew that. <laughs> Everybody in this room had a, had, if you didn't come to church, how many others, plenty of other things you can be doing. I get it. But I, we took our initiative and said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be here. Did you know that's worship? Worship is when, you, when God says, I want you to say no to this stuff, and I want you to say yes to this. I know you had options. See, I can relate to that on a personal level. My, my wife, when we were dating, she had options. <laughs> she had a lot of options. I didn't have too many. I was leaning in a little harder, a little quicker, a little faster, you know, because I was like, hey, hey, you got no options. I don't get too many options coming my way. <laughs> and I'd like to marry a girl who has options, because if she says yes to me, I'm worth a million bucks. <laughs> Eventually, she saw the light <laughs> and became convinced that I was her best option. <laughs> right. Isn't that, what makes, isn't that what makes life, make, isn't that what makes you feel valuable? She could have had, up, but she said, no, I'll take you. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> That's what the Lord said. Look, he said, I don't, I don't want you going, well, it's Sunday, and the pastor says, if I don't serve, I am not a Christian. No, 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 no. I want you to understand if you want the full dynamic of worship to impact your life, that involves serving. Because there's an experience. When you serve and you just make one person's life better that day, you walk away feeling like a million bucks. People say, I bet you get tired of preaching all the time. I say, yeah, until I get the first email text that somebody says... My life was changed today. And then I am absolutely gassed and fired up for the next weekend. It's where the energy comes from. When you know that what you did made a difference in somebody's life, you're like, sign me up. I'll do it again. There's nothing better than that. We were never meant to be satisfied as observers. But that is part of the process to get us where we need to go. Does everybody understand that? But you need to understand it's a stepping stone to other things. And everybody said amen. amen. Still love you, Pastor. There you go. I like it. And then it says before him. It's about him. I've said this so many times. You do excellent. You do above and beyond in anything what is expected so that when people ask you why, you go, because my work, my service is worship. And I'm, it's not always about the, the person may not be deserving of my best. 
But that's not why I do it. I do it because it's my worship to God. So I do my best for people who don't even like it. Because it's about him, it's not about me. I'll do my best as long as everybody gives me a pat on the back. I'll do my best as long as I feel valued and I feel appreciated. No, I do it because it's worship to him. And you know, that enables me to go into context where people don't like me. And I still can deliver the best. Why? Because I'm not doing it for the applause. I'm doing it for God. And then the last thing it says with joyful songs. It means a ringing cry. So in other words, the songs are to produce joy, to produce happiness. Now, I'm going to give you an opinion. Everybody say, this is pastor's opinion. Okay, opinion. You know what that means? If you're new to the bridge, what that means is this. You don't have to, you don't have to take what I'm about to say. You go, oh, that was his opinion. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. But one of the things that, that I, in some of the venues that I frequent, with other pastors, and, and, I, and I teach as well at the undergrad and sometimes at the seminary, I've said, I've said some of this. One of the things that I've noticed about the Christian music right now is there is a lack of joyful songs. That I understand we sometimes need to sing a song about a difficult moment in our life, a deep reflective, but there seems to be too much of that. I mean, I've gotten in my vehicle, and it's like one woe is me song after another and I'm like I gotta turn it off I'm getting depressed <laughs> I just there seems to be a lack of celebrating God and joy and, have, and when Pastor Malik uh, sent out hey I'm gonna do this song on Sunday man I you know I'm in my vehicle and I hook it up to my vehicle and I'm blasting it through the yeah, I, it was a move of God when I substitute this song for symphony music <laughs> And I'm driving, and now I notice I'm over the speed limit and everything else. And I'm just like, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying every song has to be that. But there is, you know, my opinion is there's been a deficiency of celebration. And too much woe is me. I want to know, know what happens after woe. I'll tell you what it is. It's called Wow. So I, I said, oh, man, I love that song. So, yeah, you're probably going to be hearing it for a while because I'm going to say, Pastor Malik, can we do that song again and again and again? <laughs> God says, I want joyful songs. Can you sing me a song that says, yay, God? There's nothing wrong with songs that say, I need God. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'm in a tough place. I'm in a tough time. This song reflects that moment. But we need to be shooting for, oh God, please replace my woe with some wow. Because I don't want to stay in the woe. There's no life, there's no energy, there's no vision. Get me out of this. Give me a joyful song back. Give me back something that resonates in my heart about the goodness of God. All right, if you keep asking questions, we'll never get out of here. So, <laughs> verse 3, read it with me. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. When we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you hadn't noticed in the first two uh, verses we read, he mentions joy. Okay? Now here's the question I have for you. Can you be unhappy and still have joy? Can you be unhappy and yet you still have joy? Well, yeah, yes. And I, I'm going to show you theologically, biblically, how that works. 
Because what's the difference between happiness and joy? Well, our English word for happiness comes from the related word happen. So in other words, we are happy because of something that happened. That's where the word originates, okay? So happiness is based on good things happening, and now I'm happy. If you haven't noticed, the words in Hebrew and in Greek, happiness and joy, are two different words. You go to the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is not happiness, it's joy. So how, how, can, I, how can I be unhappy, but yet I still have joy? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. So this verse, because of how it's laid out, we don't pick it up in our translation, but this, he's actually answering it with this verse. Why, when he says in two verses about joy, now he's saying this is why you should have joy. Because joy serves as the foundation, listen to me, joy is, serves as the foundation to deal with unhappiness. Everybody catch that? You deal with unhappiness by having a core value of joy. So how do we look at, how do, how, what, how do we get there? Well, here, here it is. He says, first of all, know that the Lord is God. I can have joy even when I'm unhappy because I know who God is. Now, life may not be unfolding for me in a pleasant way at that particular moment, but I have joy because I know who God is. And if I know who God is, then I know he's got my back. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not questioning God like, hey, can you spin this around? Has anybody given advice to God? You know, like, you, you know, I don't know if you noticed anything right now, God, but can I give you some advice about your power? Yeah, we all, we all advise God on how he could use his power to make something better, different in our life. But joy serves as the foundation that I know he's the one who can change everything. So I'm unhappy. But my joy is that even in my unhappiness, he's still God, which means he's still in control. Then he says this, it is he who has made us. This is more relevant today than it has ever been. Because it says this, I know how God made me and I'm good with that. It doesn't matter what people say to me or how people try to confuse me or people who put pressure on me to change or whatever the case may be. I know how God created me and I'm good. I don't need people telling me I need changed. He created me as a son or a daughter, and I need to run in my life with that. It's a foundation. If I get confused about how God has made me, I'm going to get everything confused. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you're saying that today. Well, it needed to be said. Okay? Because this confusion about how God makes people he did, listen to me, he did not make a mistake with you. Amen. He did not. In fact, when we get into some other Psalms, I think the one's coming up and I don't I want to get too far ahead, but it said he created me in my, in, in, in my mother's inmost being, in my mother's womb. Listen, the activity of God didn't show up the day I was born. It was, it was there when I got conceived. And so when you start tinkering with some of these ideologies that are in our culture right now, you're saying that God was messing up even in the womb. Might not want to go there. Then it goes on to say this. We are his. So in other words, listen, 
I may not know who my father is or you may not know. People may not know who their mother is or they may know who their mother is. They may know their family of origin or they may not know their family of origin. Some people may find the answers, but let me tell you, no matter what you do or do not know about your life, you're his. God says he'll give you an identity. Sometimes we get caught up in those things. And listen, I totally understand the dynamic. Man, I just want to know who it was or why they made those decisions and why they gave me up or why they left me. I want to know all those dynamics. I understand that. But don't let it paralyze and shackle your life from being able to move on. Can I tell you, you may not know who your earthly father is, but I can tell you, you, you can know who your heavenly one is. He says, we are his. And this is beautiful. Notice how he repeats himself and he adds one word. He says, we are his. Then he says, we are his people. And what he's doing is he's illustrating this. God does not see you as an object. He sees you as a human being. When he says, we are his, he's not talking about property. God sees you for who you are. You're a human. God says, we are his people. He says, I see you as human You're unique from all the rest of creation. You're not an object. You're not a possession. You are a person. So God says, I get your emotions. I get who you are. Why is that? Because it tells us in Genesis 1, we're created in his image. God looks at us and he sees a little bit of himself. Because he says, I created you in my image. So that matters to God. So we're not objects. We're people. We're humans to him. And the last one is this, the sheep of his pasture. Pastor Ben did a great job of unpacking some of the elements last week surrounding sheep, okay? So I'm going to give you some, a little bit additional insight. Uh, why, why does he say all this and he says, and, uh, the sheep of his pasture? I mean, why couldn't he just say goats? <laughs> or, you know, the, the, the cattle? Why did, why did God choose sheep? So, I'm going to tell you something you may not know. Sheep are the dumbest animal on the farm. (laughs) So much for picturing Jesus holding this lamb. You know, you're kind of like, yeah, Jesus is going, bless your heart. How many know what that means in the South, right? (laughs) Bless your heart. See, sheep don't know danger. They'll, they'll walk right into the very thing that can kill. They'll just, they, they're clueless. They don't know to run. They don't, they don't even know to stick with herd half the time, and they wander off. And here's the thing. A sheep will get lost and not even know it's lost. And so the shepherd has to go look for it and then bring it back. It, there's a disease that they can get flies around their eyes and there's some things that happen and, and the flies can drive them mad. And to get rid of the flies, a sheep will find a rock or a tree stump or a tree and it will bang its head trying to kill the flies. And in the process of trying to kill the flies, crack its own skull and die. All trying to swat flies, a sheep will kill itself. This is why it says in Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil. The oil that would be applied on top of sheep would get into the wool, especially around their face and, their, and around their eyes, and it was a deterrent to these flies. But see, a sheep couldn't do that. So it would just go, where's a rock? 
and just start banging its head trying to get kill, trying to get, get rid of the flies and in the process kill itself. So when he says we're the sheep of his pasture, you go, oh, bless, bless my heart. <laughs> no, that's just basically his way of saying you are absolutely clueless because there's a roaring lion out there that would devour you and you'll walk right to it. That lion doesn't have to find you. You'll walk to it. You'll serve yourself right up to it. You'll leave the herd and don't even know you're lost. You'll get into jams that you don't even know you're in a jam. You're in trouble and you don't even know that you're in trouble. You'll have a fly that you need to swat and crack your skull. And there's why you need a shepherd. Why does he care so much? Because God says, when I look at you, I see a little bit of myself in you. And you matter to me. You see, that's why we have joy that circumstances can't mess with. I know who he is. I know who I am. I know how I belong to. And I know that I'm not the most brilliant thing in the world. And God says, that's okay. I got your back. How can you not be happy with that in life? The ebb and flow of life will bring happiness and unhappiness. Certainly our choices can contribute to the amount of happiness that we have and the amount of unhappiness that we have. Our choices can influence that. But joy is based on knowing this is my foundation. I'm good. I know who I am. I'm not confused. I know that I know that I know. Everybody said amen. Then you come to number four. Let's read it out loud. Enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So you can see the temple imagery. Now, you could have, I could have also said tabernacle because it had courts and it also had uh, 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 gates as well. But what I want you to see is this. If you were familiar with the tabernacle and then later the temple, there was a process to worship. You know, they didn't, just didn't then jump in their car and then in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or, you know, it was like, hey, we got to plan the trip. We got to have enough resources. And get this did you know that you couldn't even get into the tabernacle or the temple unless you had an offering? Do you know they had temple guards to make sure you had an offering? How many of you know that was a great way to grow the bridge? <laughs> Yeah, have people standing out at the doors. Well, where's your offering today? I mean, but that's what the guards did. The guards said, you, you can't show up and not have an offering. You just, you come to give something. And in giving, God will bless you. So the guards wouldn't let people in who didn't have an offering. So he says, enter his gate. So you would get there, you had to go through the gates, and then when you got through the gates, you came to the courtyard. And what, what I want you to recognize is this. Our ability to give and receive is based on our ability to prepare. You see, they ramped up their experience. And listen, as Americans, we do this. We see, we do this. Sporting events. Let's say you're going to go to one of the professional games, whether it be baseball or basketball or or professional football, and you know, people, you know, they plan the day, you know, of course, we know what time kickoff is, but they're like, okay, we need to make sure that we leave the house at X amount of time, and, and uh, you know, has everybody got their jersey? You know, we got you know, to support our team, and I want to get there early, because I want to see the pregame warm-ups, and maybe we can get an autograph, and you know, some of the dynamics, I want to see some of the pregame show, you know, we, and we recognize that there is a 
in order to enjoy that experience, there's somewhat of a ramp-up preparation time. I want to be there early for the batting practice. You know, I want to see who's what. I want to see who's pitching for the day. You know, I want to see them getting warmed up, all these kinds of things. And why do I say it? So it's somewhat the same for us if we read the Scripture and we understand it. It was, it was an experience that had a ramping up. However, because of modernization, we don't have to do a lot of those things. I don't need to plan two to three hours to get to church. I got a feeling. So suddenly, I'm having to flip switches quickly, more quickly than they had in the Bible, in order to get my mind where it needs to be. So I'm just going to walk you through what I do. Is that all right? Hey, how do, how do I get ready for a Sunday? You say, well, that's different. You're paid to do that. Come on. If you look at me down there, I'm worshiping just as much as you are. Okay? And, if, and let me just tell you this. What preachers get in trouble when they start to treat what they do as strictly as a job. The worship time is my worship time. Okay? So how do I get my head there? First of all, the routine on Sunday is totally different than any other routine we have in the week. I don't, I don't listen to the news, and I don't read the news. Okay? Nothing will make you more unholy <laughs> than reading commentary about what's happening in the world. You know, hey, I can just wait. That, you know, so Sunday morning, I don't, no news. We don't turn on the TV. We don't, it's Okay? The second thing is this. When we get in the vehicle, we have worship. My worship starts when I'm in the vehicle. So we're using that as an experience. The worship time. It's not up to Pastor Malik to get me up. Okay, I'm listening to songs as I come in. My Sunday is different than any other day of the week. Okay, I purposely change the routine to make sure the focus is what it needs to be. I'm not answering emails. I'm not doing none of that stuff. It's, it can wait till after because I have one thing on the brain. I'm going to the house of God. And I listen to me. I need to receive just as much as you do. Okay, I, I know I'm speaking, but I need that just as much as you. It's noted. And even when I'm not speaking, I still do that. I stay away from things on Sunday morning that I would normally access anytime throughout the week. I change my routine up. I make it a morning of focus about being here and worshiping and being in the right mindset. Why? Because it's too hard to flip a switch just pulling into the park. Listen, you know the people, now I know you're not them, but everybody knows the couple who has had it out as they're pulling into the parking lot. And as soon as they open the door, well, praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't God good? And I mean, they have just laid each other out in the car. Come on. So part of that is just like, just all that can wait until after my worship time. I'm not, I'm not procrastinating. I'm not pushing it. I'm just, everything can wait. And what you find is, is you're, you're, not getting, you're not getting a head start by addressing that stuff on Sunday morning. You really aren't. In fact, you're doing better by postponing it because I find the spiritual time that we have together brings clarity about what you need to do. Anyway, I'm loving what I'm saying today, so... <laughs>
So why, listen, why, man, I am not watching the time, sorry. I am, I am having fun today. So why is this so hard for us to do? How many will give me another minute? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I can get it done in ten minutes, okay. Why is this so hard for us to do? Why is, it, why is that such a battle? You know, participating in worship or even, you know, why, why is it, oh man, I feel like I get my hands. People say, how do, you, how, do you, how do you raise your hands? I say, well, first of all, get them to shoulder height. Okay, start there. And then, you know, then, then you're halfway home, you know. So why is it so hard for us to do? So going outside Psalms to give you a little teaching on. This is Ezekiel 28, verse 13. And this is, while it's prophesying about a nation in its particular day, it's also prophesying about what had happened to Satan when he fell. Okay? And you'll see this. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, uh, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, lazuli uh, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now, as, as I go back to what I said earlier about translation work, it's very hard to figure out, do I translate the word or do I translate the concept? If you translate the concept, you really start to fill up the pages with a lot of words. And now it's becoming not just a Bible. You start to produce a whole volume of series. And so I'm going to give you the word here. There's a word here that we misread, and it's the word settings. We assume that that's related to the precious stones being mentioned. We understand the mountings, but we say settings. And the Hebrew word for settings actually means timbrel tambourine. It's talking context. Okay? Now, you're welcome to do the research on yourself, but I'm just telling you that's... So, it, so what we have here was this. He was adorned with all these, these valuable uh, or, uh, stones and precious stones and timbrel and tambourine. He was in charge of worship. And God cast him out of heaven. The question is this. So who did God put in his place to lead the worship? I'm glad you asked that question. The reason this is critical to answer and know this is because in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. So this is where we get the concept that God inhabits the praises of his people. He said this to Israel, I am enthroned in your praises. When you praise, God says, Israel, I show up. He says it again in Psalm 9:11, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. God says, when you praise, I'm, I'm coming, I'm there. But again, the question is, okay, so God inhabits the praises, so this is really cool. So what happens was this, when Satan got fired, you got hired. You got hired. He didn't put another angel in charge. God chose deficient, fallible human beings because God said, I've already had the best and it was corrupt. And he says in John 4, 23, 24, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He says, I've already had the best in the world that didn't worship me in truth and I cast him out. And I'm looking for people who will do it from their heart and mean it. Satan got fired and you and I got hired. 
So while we sing, do you understand the spiritual conflict that you're bringing? Because you are reminding the, the darkness that you now have the role that darkness used to have. Yeah, you, if you think Satan's going to take that line down, you're kidding. So let's make worship as hard as possible. Let's make it inconvenient. Let's make it difficult. Let's make it awkward. It's kind of funny. The one who's whispering all that garbage in your ear is the one who used to lead it. Oh. Remember, he's the father of lies. Everybody with me? Okay. So the last verse, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You and I are a part of a momentum that preceded our life. And should Jesus tarry, that will continue after we are gone. This momentum has been happening. You and I just jumped on a train that was already moving. And one day he's going to take us off that train and it will be handed off to other generations. So you and I are just a part of a bigger picture. And I want to praise God that we get to be a part of it. But I don't want to act like it's all about me because it is not all about me. I want to thank him for the part of being of what he's doing, how he's doing it. And being able to be a part and that the fact is he has... He has given me an identity. He has a role for me. He has, and here's the thing. I want to learn God's love language. He knows mine. I would like to know his. And everybody said amen. Now listen, we're going to stand. We're going to wrap up the service. Come on, stand. We sang this song. It was the third song that we sang. It may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. I want you to sing it with a different dynamic from your heart and your head. You may sound the same, but what you know, do you understand? This is a song the enemy does not want you singing because it's literally like poking him in the eye. But you know what? Everything theologically about this song is so true. Come on, let's lift our voice and we'll sing it now. Look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on, sing it now. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I. By you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. So listen, we're gonna sing that again, but in a different context. I'm going to ask some of the connection group leaders if they would make their way to the front. And maybe you've never thought of this, but what a great song to have being sung 
if you have a need and you need prayer than to have a group of people proclaiming and crying out to God that you're surrounded by Him. And listen, it's in that type of context God can meet your needs. So as we sing this again, I want you to make your way. If you have a need, share with them how to pray, what, the, what your need is, and they're going to pray. But here's the thing. We're going to wrap it up. But for the next couple minutes when we sing, I want everybody to lift your hands. Let's create an atmosphere of spiritual warfare that if people come for prayer, that God's going to hear that. Come on, lift your voice now as people make their way. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Here they look, here they look, here they look. Here they look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Here they look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Here they look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on, one more time. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, all over this house of God, lift your hands. And let me tell you this, before we leave and I say the blessing, let's give a shout of praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody together, lift your voice in victory today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, give it praise. Come on, lift your voice. Let me just give you a challenge. When Pastor Malik calls for that in the middle of worship, that's what ought to be, a sound of victory. Amen? Come on, lift your hands as I say the blessing and we go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land, all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands and home, work, and church. In this community, may he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you be called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Look like
Like I 